I invite you to stand once again for the reading of the scripture this morning. Our passage is from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, doing the will of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you here today. Welcome. So, I'll begin with a little story about growing up in the Deep South, which you cannot tell from the way I talk. But um, my mother's family is all Southern. And I remember when I was about 10, my maternal grandfather, who we called Papa, he asked me a very important question. Joy, do you know how to make gravy? Apparently, in his mind, this is what every girl or woman needed to know how to do, make gravy. And I remember feeling a little concerned. So I talked to my mom, like, Papa asked me if I knew how to make gravy, and I said no. And so she showed me. And in case you're wondering, by gravy, I don't mean like Thanksgiving. I mean like white sauce or bechamel. And I know how to make gravy. I can make gravy with all kinds of ingredients. You show me your cupboard and your refrigerator, and I can make gravy. The recipe is written on my heart. I never look it up. It's just in here. And I have to tell you, this sermon series, for me, is a little bit like gravy. It's written on my heart from my childhood. Now, I am, just so you know, I am an ordained evangelical covenant church pastor, But I did grow up in a different Christian denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, one that emphasizes what's called the fourfold gospel. And even these images are from the Christian Missionary Alliance. And here is the symbol, the denominational symbol I grew up in. You can see there's four things there. We'll go through them. Uh, This fourfold gospel was basically tattooed on my heart at an early age. There was a stained glass of it hanging in our home. Every hymnal had it. I knew the word sanctification from the age of five. And it's not really a covenant emphasis, but it is deeply biblical. And it can help our faith become more robust and understand 
who Jesus is and what he has done. The fourfold gospel looks at the past, present, and future work of Jesus. It's a sort of multidimensional way of comprehending God's work in the world in a way that's, I think, quite easy, even for children, to understand. And that's what we're going to be exploring these next four weeks. It will all help us to articulate the gospel. And I hope that by the end, if someone asks you the question, who is Jesus to you? you will have a real good answer. And so today we begin with the first symbol, the cross. Before I go on, I just want to say this. Often we we will read a text and then preach on the text. This is a topical sermon series, so you'll hear a lot more text, and I won't be teaching from primarily the passage that was read earlier. Just FYI, in case you're curious. So we begin with the cross today. 1 Corinthians 1.18 reminds us that the cross, we have to remember, the cross isn't primarily a religious symbol. It's an ancient instrument of human torture. And this is what Paul has to say about the cross. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because, my friends, in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we are saved. Jesus saves. Maybe you've seen a cross like this. But what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in and live as people who are saved by Christ? There's many ways to answer this. I'm going to answer it today from two perspectives. Jesus saves us from, and Jesus saves us to. So let's look at the from first. Jesus saves us from sin and the consequences of sin from death and the fear of death, and he saves us from the evil one. And we all need savings from these things. Let's look at sin first. So a foundational Christian belief, and it's not even, it's not even just Christian, because you'll hear people say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm only human, right? But a, a foundational Christian belief is that all human beings have sinned. We read this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a a passage often children will memorize in Sunday school. What's sin? Maybe you wonder that. Sinning is falling short. It's, It's missing the mark. One of the things I tell kids when I'm teaching them is that sin is when we choose our way rather than God's way. Sin is, are things that we think and say and do. What we read about sin early on in Scripture, in Genesis 3, the man and the woman choose to their own way. They choose to disobey God. And then they eat this forbidden fruit, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They choose not to wait for God to teach them, but to rush ahead and do what's good in their own eyes. And the truth is, is that All of us sin. We all do what's good in our own eyes, rather than following the path of trust and obedience that's laid out in Scripture. Sometimes we like to compare ourselves to others, you know? You can be like, well, I didn't kill anyone. I didn't cheat on my spouse. I didn't even cheat on a test or on taxes. I mean, even if you've never stolen anything, not a candy bar at the grocery store when you were a kid, or even if you accidentally took a pen from the doctor's office the next time you take it back and leave it there, right? 
even if you always speak the truth and it is always in love. Come talk to me because I need some help with that. Tell me how you did it, okay? Even if you are always doing the good thing, I think we all know that often we can do the good thing, but our heart isn't right. You know what I'm saying? You can do the wrong thing, the right thing for the wrong reason. You can live doing good, but without a perspective of hope or joy. I mean, sin comes in many, many disguises. Sometimes simply it's just misplaced priorities. But all these things are a path away from God's path. And none of us are exempt. Psalm 51.5 shares the reality This is one I struggle with, but it's true that even babies are sinful. Surely I was sinful at birth, the psalmist writes. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But sin isn't just something bad we have to deal with now. Sin has consequences for the future. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, our sin leads to death. You know why it leads to death? Why is that the wages? Well, because it's the path away from God. God is the author and the source of all life. And if you are moving away from God, away from God's way, you are moving away from life. You are on a road to death. Jesus saves us from sin And also, more, from the consequences of sin, from death and separation from the God of life. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the weight on him in this crucifixion wasn't simply the physical horror of suffocation while hanging from his wrists after being brutally whipped. That was significant, but there was more. Thousands of people were crucified by the Roman Empire. But Jesus is the only one that we worship, right? Jesus' disciple, Peter, reworked the prophet Isaiah when he wrote, He, Jesus, himself, bore our sins on his body on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed, healed from sin. And so not only does Jesus' death save us from sin and the consequences of sin, it saves us from more. It saves us from death. There's this old saying, right, that there's two things that none of us can escape, death and taxes. I was pondering that this week. I thought, well, it seems like the extremely wealthy are trying to escape both. (laughs) Anyway, but unless Jesus comes back first, we will all die. In the Ecclesiastes Bible study this week, when we were reading chapter 3, verse 19, I was really struck. The, The writer of Ecclesiastes says, For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vapor. I was struck by that this past week as we remembered the 22nd anniversary of 9 11. And, and I don't usually do that, this, but this year I spent some time like watching some documentaries of survivors telling their stories. And there was this man who had 
been in the second tower and he had watched from within his business office with fully glass windows as the second plane targeted his floor, he escaped. Like, nobody went to work that day thinking they would die in their office or in a stairwell. None of the first responders woke up that morning and and thought that this was the kind of crisis they were going to be called to. No one thought that they would die from a building crashing, crumbling down on top of them like a Lego building being toppled. But 2,977 victims died that day, and these were horrible and tragic and senseless deaths. And we mourned that as a country then. If if you're old enough to remember, and, and kids and students, please ask your parents about this. This is an important story to remember But the reality is, is that that none of us can escape death. And the best we can hope for is a timely and peaceful death, one that's not tragic, one that's surrounded by family, but death is death, and it will come for us all. But Jesus, my friends, Jesus saves us from death. And the reality is, is that we will die physically, hopefully peacefully, but we know that there is existence and hope beyond death. The Apostle Paul was confident at his death that he would be with Christ. He had confidence in his salvation that death would not be the end of him. And our hope as Christians is not that our name will be remembered on earth, although that's nice and good. It's not our hope that our DNA will be continued through our children and grandchildren, although that's good too. Our hope is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And at the moment of death, the believer, the one who is in Christ, is with Jesus. But it doesn't end there. This isn't where our hope ends about death. Because yes, there is life after death, but also there is life after death life after death, because Jesus saves us more. Because in Jesus' death, and then his physical bodily resurrection, he embodies and enacts this hope for us. Paul wrote that those who have received Jesus' salvation can trust that one day they will be raised again. This is important to remember as you age, my friends. I I keep on like getting burns on my hands from cooking or ironing, and I have like scars just from mistakes I've made, and they're not going to go away, right? My eyes keep getting worse. Sometimes even with my new glasses, I'm like, I think I need new glasses. It's just my eyes, right? This perishable body, Paul writes about that. The, the, but all this, all this will be raised imperishable. And I know that death is not the end. Jesus saves us from death, and because of that, the fear of death, Jesus saves our souls when we die and our bodies in the resurrection of the dead. Paul writes to the church in Corinth who was really struggling with the idea of the resurrection of the dead. He says, look, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Jesus saves us from death and the fear of death, from sin and the consequences of sin, but he saves us from more. He saves us from the evil one. Now, in Scripture, the evil one, he, it, I I don't even know, uh, 
is called sometimes the devil, or the, sometimes the word Satan, and then Satan's capitalized, but that's not a proper noun. It's a word that means the accuser. Sometimes he's called the evil one. It's interesting. In Scripture, God has so many names. I have books with, like, lists of names for God, and they fill me with hope and joy. There's really not that many names and not even a proper name for the evil one. Not only does he not have a name, and unlike God, you know, God wanted to know us so well, he took on human flesh in Christ, right? We affirm that Jesus was wholly human in flesh and wholly God at the same time. But the evil one, not embodied, can't be. Only our God is embodied. And, and because we are embodied and we reflect the image of God as God made us, he hates that. But Jesus defeated him. Paul writes about how Jesus defeated him in his death. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them. He embarrassed them. That's what he's saying. Triumphing over them in it. In Jesus' death on the cross, he disarms. He takes away the weapons of these evil spiritual powers by paying the debt of death owed to sin to ransom humans from a life of slavery to sin and the evil one. Jesus' death ransoms sinners from slavery to the evil one. To quote the preacher Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, she writes, Jesus' ghastly death was in some ineffable way commensurate with the enormity of sin and death, and by submitting to these powers, Jesus overcame them. Jesus overcame them. So in Jesus' perfect life and his shameful death on the cross for us and our salvation and his resurrection from the dead, he defeated sin and death and the evil one. He overcame them. And because of this, we are saved now for those who have received the salvation. We don't have to worry. It said the best in the movie, The Wizard of Oz, which I have memorized, where Glenda says to the Wicked Witch, you have no power here. Be gone before someone drops a house on you. Satan's power is broken, and Jesus reigns supreme, and he offers salvation from sin and death and the evil one to anyone who believes, to anyone who trusts Jesus, who says, you know what? I can't save myself. I need saving. I need help. Jesus, will you help me? I trust you. So several years ago, um, while our kids were at camp, my husband Justin and I spent some time in Door County, and I was really excited to take a kayaking trip at Whitefish Dunes State Park, where there are those little caves, and you can kind of go in there. I was very excited about this. Um, I'm a good paddle sport person, like totally not an athlete, not Olympic not Olympian, but I'm comfortable in the water. I can paddle well. I can, I'm a strong swimmer. Um, and it was a beautiful day for this kind of activity. Like the sun was out and Lake Michigan was really calm. Um, and we were with a group of people. And, and so when I saw the people who were going to be in the group with us, I was started to get a little dubious, especially with one couple. Um, and they were just like not dressed for kayaking. The guy had on hiking boots which I do not remember him taking off before he got in the kayak. And I thought, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. 
And he didn't say anything, because I'm polite, but sometimes judgmental in my mind. Anyway, so um, we're out, we're kayaking, and Justin and I are having a great time. And about 15 minutes into the tour, you know how Lake Michigan can be, like, in an instant, the waves start getting kind of choppy. And they were not high. But when you're in a kayak, like, three and four feet is kind of high. And it was fun for us, but for the other members of our group, they were not having a good time. And so our tour guide made the call to turn around and go back disappointed but we did and and so as Justin and I are like really quickly kayaking back to shore I don't know why we were in a hurry but um it was becoming a race we looked back and I noticed that Mr. Hiking Boots and the woman with him had both fallen in and um and the guide was trying to rescue them uh and, and she, she got the woman in okay, and then he was just having problems, and she, like, tried different things, and finally she tried this sort of rope contraption. I don't know anything about kayaking gear to save people, but, but she put this rope contraption out, and he, like, grabbed it, and she, she got him in, and finally she got him in. So they were both fine. Um, but you know what really helped him the most was he received the help she gave. He wasn't like, hey, I'm fine. Me and my hiking boots, we're going to be Okay. <laughs> going to make it. Like when she threw out the rope, he grabbed it. And he let her do what she needed to do to save him that day. And um, she kayaked him back to shore and, and the empty kayaks with her. And it was like quite a rescue. But as I thought about it, I was like, you know, any of us could have needed saving that day. I mean, my history with this didn't exempt me from falling out, right? It was kind of rocky. You know, and I know that the guide, if it were me, she would have, she would have saved me because that was her character. That's her job. It was her job to save the people who needed saving. And Jesus is like that, but so much more. Jesus saves. We just have to acknowledge we need saving. He rescues us from the chaos of sin and death and the evil one. And this is a, a foundational doctrine of the church. We cannot save ourselves. But we're not just people who are saved past tense, right? It's also, we are being saved. It's present tense. We are being saved even now, present tense. And Jesus is saving us too, just as much as he's saving us from. So I said I was going to talk about what Jesus saves us too. This part's a lot shorter. But here's what we're saved too. We're saved to be part of the family of God. We are adopted as God's children If you have an older Bible, when it talks about us being the children of God in the New Testament, it will often say the sons of God. And for right reasons, many biblical translators now translate it children of God. But we lose something in that. And that's that in the ancient Near East, who got the inheritance? The sons. So we're all saved as children of God who are like sons who receive God's inheritance. And all of us, men and women and boys and girls who have trusted, trusted Jesus for salvation, we have the privilege of being part of God's family, just like an ancient son would have been. Second, we're saved into the righteousness of Christ. When we receive salvation, we are dressed, metaphorically, in the righteous robes of Christ. God looks at us through the holy person of Jesus. We are marked with, as I said two weeks ago, holy to the Lord. Salvation also gives us a new heart. It renews us. It reforms us. 
We are alive together in Christ. As our epistle reading today said, our hearts are renewed. We are also saved to eternal life. Salvation is not just about where you go when you die. It's about a new life that begins right now when you come to know the author of life, God in Christ, and begin a relationship with God which will last eternally. And then finally, we are saved for doing good works. Our passage today is clear about this. Jesus Jesus hasn't just rescued us for something. He's rescued from something. He's rescued us for something. So what good works have you been rescued for? What does Jesus want you to do? And this is the foundation of our evangelical faith. This is the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us for us and our salvation. Sometimes we might share a story, like, how are you saved, right? Some circles we might share that. There's a recent story, a conversion story, I I came upon in the film, The Jesus Revolution, and this is the story of Greg Laurie. This takes place in the 60s. He'd had a real hard life. It was just him and his mom. They moved around a lot of places. Sometimes he had to take care of her. He uh, experimented with drugs and different friend groups, and at least according to the movie, there's several times it looks like he's about to die. But then he encounters the person in the teaching of Jesus, and, and it saves him. Jesus saves him from the chaos and sin he's been experiencing. And in the clip I'm about to show, we'll be able to see his, his commitment to Christ, where he says, I need to be saved. And then also a dramatic enactment of his baptism which really shows Jesus' saving work for all of us from the chaos of sin and death and the evil one. Let's watch this film. How'd that feel? You'll see. Hi. Greg, right? Yeah. I've been praying for this moment since I first met you. Have you decided? Um, I, I, I don't know. You want to decide right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But you are the savior of the world. You are the savior of the world. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come into my life. I repent for my sins. I repent for all my sins. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior, my God and friend. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior, my God and my friend. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Greg, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
do you feel? Alive. faith like this, I invite you to have a conversation with me or Pastor Lars or one of our prayer ministers today. But if you're like, yes, yes, he is. I celebrate. And I'm thankful that Jesus saved me from sin and the consequences of sin, from death and the fear of death and from the evil one. I invite you to remember that today as we remember our baptisms together. Because one of the symbolism of baptism is the rescue of Christ for us through the chaos of sin and death, the life before Christ. So we'll have a time today. The band will play some music. And I'll invite you to come forward. We have our baptismal open and this bowl over here so the lines aren't so long. Where you can dip your hands in the water and remember Jesus' saving work on your behalf.